I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who celebrates recovery from a chemical addiction and I am in recovery for codependency. My name is Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hello, let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you know the journey that I was on that led me to these rooms, Lord, and you know every tear that I shed, Lord. What you have done in my life is nothing short of a miracle, Lord. And would you just open the ears of the newcomer tonight that needs to hear that miracles are possible and they happen in this place. In your name, amen. amen. <clears throat> I was born on Tuesday, September 20th, 1983 in Modesto, California. My parents were married when I was born but divorced when I was two. This meant that I grew up with no memories of what it's like to be a family with my mother and my father. My childhood was full of chaos and fear due to alcoholism, addiction, and mental illness. I learned at an early age to stuff my feelings because of all the chaos around me. I was raised an only child in my mother's home. Although my dad had other children with other women, I have never bonded with them, and to this day we do not speak. I was a very lonely child and never had any close friends. We moved constantly, and I never completed a school year in one school. This created a lack of self-confidence as I never stayed in one place long enough to make a friend. At home, I struggled to keep up with my schoolwork, often missing homework assignments and failing to meet the standards for the grade level that I was in. When report cards came home, my mom would get angry, threaten to hold me back a grade level and give me the silent treatment. In these moments, I would feel shame and guilt. I would often retreat to my bedroom to be alone. Our constant moving meant I was always the new kid. My bright orange hair, pale skin, freckles, and very light eyebrows and eyelashes seemed to bring nothing but negative attention. I could never seem to blend into my new surroundings. I was bullied constantly. I hated myself and I just wanted to hide. Back at home in my early years, my mom was never alone. She had one type, abusive, addict, and alcoholic. The first relationship I remember her having were all of these things. We lived out in the country with his family. I was around five. Some of the earliest memories were scary movies playing on the television and the constant use of marijuana all around me. After a time, we moved to our own place and nothing changed. Around the time that I was six or so, I went to stay with my dad and his new girlfriend for the weekend. I had only been there a short time when the phone rang and the next thing I knew, I was being driven to my grandparents' house. I had no idea what was going on, but I could sense the tension in the car. When we walked into the house, the living room was full of family members, and my dad led me to a small bedroom where my mom sat crying on the bed. All I can remember is feeling fear. She told me that her boyfriend had been murdered. Over the next few days, no details were kept from me. It was too much for a six-year-old to comprehend. I would come to learn later that he had been having an affair with a married woman, and the husband came home to find him and shot him. He died instantly. He was only 23. I was included in this story as if it were normal. Sadly to me, this was my normal. To a child, I had so many questions about life and death and nowhere to find any answers. Through this tragedy, I continued to stuff my feelings and I felt as though I was invisible. Before I knew it, my mom had moved on. She was dating a friend of the man who had been murdered. I hated this man from the very beginning. He, like the one before, was an abusive addict and alcoholic. He made it very clear that I was not his child. He was explosive under the influence, which was often. He would scream, throw things, and then go off, and he would go after my mom. Nothing was off limits once he went off. Even the kitten that he had brought home from work for my mom was not safe. This went on for years. 
We would stay and endure it for periods of time until my mom decided to leave, only to return a few days later. As this continued, my inner shame and self-hatred began coming out in my own inner fits of rage. It would build and build until my, I found myself reaching levels of explosive anger that rose out of nowhere. I would lie on my bed and scream into my pillow. Before long, this rage seeped out, and one evening, I got into an argument with my mom. Out of nowhere, my mom's boyfriend grabbed me in the hallway and whipped me with his belt. This had never happened before, and it broke me. I was 10. The next day, it got worse. As my mom drove me to school, she said something to me that I will never forget. Melissa, I don't hate you. I just hate what you've become. In that moment, something inside of me changed. I no longer felt invisible. I now saw myself as the cause of all of her pain, anger, and chaos that was our lives. My mom would stay with this man until I was in junior high. As I began eighth grade, she finally left and we moved to a rundown shack in a bad area of town. I entered a new school where once again, I did not fit in. We were on our own with very little money for clothes, so I started all over again with no self-confidence. This year, I had a plan for a way to fit in. I was older now, and I was able to experiment with makeup. I was hopeful wearing makeup would help me fit in. Unfortunately, I wasn't taught how to properly apply the makeup. So instead of covering up the freckles and coloring in the eyebrows, I chose shades of makeup much too dark for my skin tone. My, my skin tone. I did not fit in. I stood out even more. It became a new source of bullying. My peers were older now and much crueler than the peers I had faced in elementary school. I cannot explain the agony of this time in my life. I was left wondering what was wrong with me. The inner shame grew. At home, things were only getting worse. There was an unending pattern of men coming and going from our home, and by the end of the school year, my mom had taken a turn for the worse. She began coming home drunk. By this time, she had lost her job, we lost our home, and having no place else to go, we went to stay with my newly single dad. My mom and I shared a spare bedroom for a few days, and soon I was staying there alone. Sadly, this time is so memorable to me because this was the first time I had ever experienced my parents in the same house together. It was strange, yet it somehow filled some deep longing I could not understand at the time. I stayed the remainder, the remainder of the summer with my dad. He was the cool parent at this point in my life. He was deep in his addiction to alcohol. He had a new place with a, great new paying, with a great paying job and tons of friends that were always around. He had a custom-made bar in his new bachelor pad. So night after night, he had a house full of people sitting around drinking, smoking marijuana, and carrying on. I felt so cool being the only kid sitting at the bar full of adults. On many occasions, they would pass me a joint like it was normal. I always declined because somehow I knew it would offer me nothing but trouble. As school began, I moved back in with my mom and started yet another school year at a new school. Amazingly, my mom had found a new boyfriend who did not abuse her. There were no fights or fits of rage, a very new experience for me, and in this year I began to understand that I was struggling with depression. I slept a lot after school, hardly ate, and kept myself isolated in my room. I was depressed and I had no way to express how I was feeling. I just sort of existed. I was so exhausted from the war inside my head. I began to cut myself to alleviate the pain and it was a cry for help. I was a ticking time bomb with a short fuse ready to end it all as suicide became a part of my thoughts. I was 15 and my life was about to take a major turn for the worse. I found some friends at my new school who finally accepted me. Looking back now, I can see how inevitable it was. I began hanging around with the outcasts and the druggies. The Bible says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. 
Soon I was experimenting with drugs and alcohol. It started with marijuana, the drug that I absolutely despised, and alcohol only to quickly escalate to a daily use of meth. I was running hard and trying to numb all of the pain I'd held in for so many years. Fast forward to a year later and I had moved in with my dad, the only adult I knew that would not mind my drinking and drug use. He had no rules, so my life became a free-for-all. And that year, I had actually become the popular kid for all of the wrong reasons. I was popular because my dad would allow me to have massive parties at his house with my classmates and even some of my dad's friends. I did whatever I wanted. When I was 16, I met the, the man that I would marry and have children with at Yosemite Lane's bowling alley. I fell head over heels in love with him, and overnight, he had become my everything. As we graduated high school, we had the bright idea we needed a fresh start, and we moved away to a little teeny tiny town called Cross Timbers, Missouri, population 187. My soon-to-be husband had family that lives there. My future mother-in-law and I bonded during this time. She would send me care packages, and we would talk on the phone for hours. She was a faithful believer in Jesus Christ, and we would share long talks about the Lord. She bought me my first Bible, and I began to read the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was there in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, at the age of 19, that I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Sadly, it would be years later that I would truly surrender, yet his presence in my life began making a difference. I began to see things through the eyes of God, and although I would face many more years of struggles, my head and my heart always knew the truth. In January of 2003, at the age of 19, I gave birth to my first daughter, Ashlyn. I was 1,800 miles away from home and anyone I knew. I was so scared and alone. These were very dark and depressing years for me. I continued to read my Bible, and I was learning how to pray. I didn't know it at the time, but I was suffering from postpartum depression that manifested into severe anxiety, which I still battle to this day. Daily chores became increasingly difficult for me with a newborn. I cried a lot, and I had no interest in doing anything. But I would read my Bible. It was still hard to understand because it was so foreign to me. I was not raised with believing parents or family members, and I had still not gone to church. Yet I was still drawn to it as I continued to look for answers for all of the pain that I was feeling. In 2005, we moved back home to Modesto, and on April 23, 2005, we were married. Marriage meant very little to the people in my life as I was growing up. No one stayed faithful, and nobody stayed married. I felt so many emotions that day. One thing I remember very clearly is the honest prayer that I prayed in my heart, that I would take my vow seriously, I would not fail. I would not let my marriage or my family fail as so many in my family had done before me. I promised God and myself that I would stay faithful till death do we part, in richer or poor, in sickness and in health. And let me tell you, God has tested my faith in every area of the promise I made that day. The next few years brought lots of changes to our family. We began to attend church regularly, and God expanded our little family of three with two more girls, Avery Estelle, who was born in July of 2008, and Olivia Kate in March of 2010. All three of my pregnancies were extremely hard and stressful. I was in and out of the hospital all nine months with severe hyperemesis and preterm labor. It was agony. I never knew if I would carry my babies to full term. Each time after months of extreme morning sickness, contractions, bed rest, and medications, I delivered all three healthy, beautiful girls at 40 weeks. Thank you, Jesus. After I had Olivia, my doctor and I agreed that babies were too risky and extremely hard on my body. 
I opted for a tubal ligation. During the surgery, the doctors had slipped and I developed a nerve entrapment disorder. It caused severe pain in my left leg, hip, and side. I was given narcotics to treat the pain. Although it helped with the pain, it did not relieve my postpartum depression and anxiety. I was also given antidepressants, anti-anxieties, and other drugs to help with nerve pain. Nothing ever seemed to work because I was medicating a spiritual problem. I began a crazy cycle of either doubling up my dose or I would get angry and flush all of my pills, go cold turkey in a desperate plea to get some degree of my sanity back. This went on for six long years. I would beg and I would plead with the Lord to not allow me to wake up, to end the suffering, and once I was gone, heal my family. We had stopped attending church and I was isolating. I was a stay-at-home mom with a full-blown addiction to anything that would make me numb. Yet never once did I ever stop asking and pleading with the Lord to deliver me. In 2016, I had all I could take. Through a random post on Facebook from a friend of a friend, I found Maynard's Recovery Center. I called, and the very next day, I checked myself into a 28-day treatment. That was one of the best decisions I had ever made. While in treatment, the Lord blessed me with three amazing godly counselors. They all had something in common, Jesus and Celebrate Recovery. The first time I had ever heard of CR was there at Maynard's from my counselor, Chris. Chris encouraged me to give it a try, and the first Tuesday that I was home, I attended my first Celebrate Recovery meeting. Thank you, Chris, for leading me to this amazing place. When I walked into this place, I was amazed. I could not believe how many people were here. I expected it to look like all of the AA meetings that I had been attending. I was not expecting the joy and the dancing and the singing. I wondered if I were in the right place. Were these people really in recovery? Then Pastor Stubbert walked on stage and began to speak, and I was once again, once again stunned. I couldn't believe he could admit, much less talk about this stuff in church. I left that night wanting to know more about this place, so I kept coming back. In the coming weeks, the testimonies and the teachings kept me learning about how God and addiction were meant to be dealt with in the same place, church. In secular recovery, I was taught to say my higher power, and I loved that in Celebrate Recovery, I could confidently say Jesus. Here over time, thank you. Here over time, the shame of my past and addictions began to unravel right here in these rooms. It would take me a few weeks to get connected in open chairs. I bounced around from room to room trying to find where I belonged. I am one of the blessed few who the Lord removed the compulsion to use drugs. Yet I was still a mess and I knew I needed help. Finally, I found coca, codependent to a chemical addict. After all, I am an adult child of an alcoholic. The first time I walked into that room, I felt like a piece of my life that had always been missing. The stories shared in that room were the stories I had kept under lock and key for so many years. This allowed me to feel free to share and it didn't take me long to find my voice. In these rooms, I was no longer that invisible little girl. I was heard and I was loved. And you cannot be around here long before you start hearing about step studies and sponsorship. And this was very scary to me. I began to pray and ask the Lord to guide me to a sponsor and to have the courage to work the steps. I kept coming back and soon I found someone who shared her experience, strength, and hope, and I wanted what she had. I stayed after group, we exchanged numbers, I began reaching out, and soon we were meeting at Starbucks. This was a difficult step for me because I had never had a voice or the ability to ask for help. I knew I needed help and I knew I needed to work the steps. A step study was soon announced and I joined and I began working through the 12 steps of recovery. It was painful, but it was exactly what I needed. 
I did my best through the first three steps. Step one, I knew that I was powerless. Step two, I knew Jesus had all the power. And the group was helping me to learn about the third step of surrendering my will and my life over to his care. When it came to the fourth step, I began to feel the anxiety and fear rising in me. I found myself crisis calling anyone who would answer. Day after day, I sat at my dining room table with my step study book open and, my, and tears running down my face, thinking there was absolutely no way all the pain, trauma, fear, and anxiety I'd carried for 37 years was going to fit into those little teeny tiny boxes. Trust me, it did, and I used every single square inch. My fourth step introduced me to the truth that I had been running from. It gave me a different perspective on recovery in the steps. I quickly found patterns and defects of character I never knew existed. One of the promises is that we will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. As I unloaded years of baggage, I gained a clear lens that offered me new wisdom. The wisdom of the rooms, as it is called, and this wisdom offered me answers. I began to understand why I believed I could not trust people, why I never felt worthy or loved, why I had so much anger, why I always thought I needed to control people or events, why I felt solely responsible for people and their pain, why I felt I needed to problem solve every situation I found myself in, why I needed to be friends with everybody, and why I was not okay when people didn't like me. I finally began to see how my need to control things only kept me farther away from what God had planned for my life. Take just one of these, and it is a huge revelation. But when combined, they begin to produce a miracle. Because God was doing for me what I could have never done for myself. Through these revelations and his power, I began to make healthier, God-honoring decisions for my life. Hebrews 4.16 says, I can freely approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And as I did this, I found him true to his attached promise that there I will find mercy and receive grace in my time of need. His mercy and his grace have forever changed me. In steps six and seven, I began to, to surrender all of my defects of character over to the care of God. With this step, my prayer life began to change. I began to journal my prayers and they always began with the third step. Take my will and my life, guide me in my recovery and show me how to live. I began reading the Bible more and more and it became more relatable to me. People are broken and they have been since the fall of man. I am no different, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love for his people, including my family and I, knows no bounds. This became evident in the fall of 2020 as the dysfunctional patterns in my marriage caught up to us. We could no longer continue on without causing more harm to ourselves and our daughters. This was a very desperate time for me as I tried to control the choices my spouse was making and his lifestyle. I found myself in moments of fear, anxiety, depression, and crisis. This time, I had a program of recovery, a sponsor, and accountability partners to walk me through the sorrow and the grief that I had found myself in. They constantly reminded me of what surrender looks like and how to work a healthy program of recovery despite the circumstances of my life at the time. Through this time, I considered whether or not my husband and I would continue our marriage, and I was left with one choice, surrender, and I did. I gave my husband to the Lord with every belief that God loved him more than I ever could. Surrendering my marriage and my husband over to God showed me how to set healthy boundaries out of love. Unbeknownst to me, the Lord was doing a work in my husband and my marriage that I could not even imagine. Today, I get to witness a miracle in my marriage as my husband and I both work a program of recovery. I am so thankful, thank you.
I am so thankful that our daughters now see us both working on ourselves individually and together. Thank you, Nick, for choosing our marriage and our daughters and for allowing me to witness the miracle of your recovery. I'm so proud of you and I'm so blessed to see you put your recovery and your relationship with God first. I love you. Sorry, sorry. Today I'm a work in progress and I continue to work my recovery. I do a daily 10th step, taking my inventory and admitting when I am wrong. For this and for every step, I need the Lord. He holds me accountable and I no longer have to hide. I simply confess my faults to him and ask him to humble me and give me the strength to do the next right thing. I work my 12th step as I facilitate open chair groups, the greeting team, co-facilitating a step study and co-chairing an Al-Anon. I hope that you all can hear that I could have never dreamed of this when I first walked into these rooms. Romans 8.28 gives us one of the most mysterious and wonderful promises of God. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. My first year of recovery was the most bittersweet of my life. It was full of tears, fear, anxiety, frustration, and days of absolutely giving up only to surrender it all and try again. No matter what I felt or how hard it seemed, I kept coming back. At the very beginning of this journey, I held a few verses deep in my heart and for a long time I wondered if they would ever be true. The first is Joel 2.25, so I will restore to you all of the years the swarming locusts have eaten. And the second is 1 Peter 5.10, and after you have suffered a little while, God in all of his glory will confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I so often wondered if I would ever feel anything but suffering, and if I could actually begin to bear fruit that could no longer be devoured by swarming locusts. I can stand here tonight and tell you that my life is bearing fruit for Jesus. I no longer feel the suffering I did when I walked into these rooms. His promises are true. His word is alive and active and changing lives every day. There are still days where fear and anxiety are present and still moments of my serenity, but they are just moments. To the newcomer, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. The seat that you occupy tonight was made just for you. Don't ever believe the lie that you don't belong here. You might be on step one, day one, or hour one. It doesn't matter. Find an open chair group and please keep coming back because you are so worth it. Because of Christ and the 12 steps of recovery, I am no longer that little girl who felt different and heard stupid, ugly, and isolated. Today, I love the Lord my God in a way I never knew possible. I am also a woman who is loved and who loves others. I no longer see people the way that I used to. God has given me a humble heart and compassion to accept people as they are, not as I would have them be. Today, it is a miracle that I have healthy relationships with women whom I call friends and who I trust and who trust me. I have hope, I have wisdom, and I have the tools of recovery to deal with life on life's terms. I would like to close using the suggested closing of my Al-Anon group. A few special words to those who have, not, who have not been with us long. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If you try to keep an open mind, you will find help. You will come to realize that there is no situation too difficult to be bettered and no unhappiness too great to be lessened. We aren't perfect. The welcome we give you may not show you the warmth that we have in our hearts for you. After a while, you'll discover that though you may not like all of us, you'll come to love us in a very special way, the way that we already love you. Forever family, thank you for showing up for your recovery so that I can show up for mine. I may not know all of you, but I love you all in a very special way. Thank you for coming back. My name is Melissa, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who celebrates my, who celebrates my recovery. Thank you for letting me share.